0: I'm Alex Shaw,
1: I'm Sharon Shaw, and And welcome welcome to to...
0: School of Movies, (laughs) Minority Report and War of the Worlds.
2: Okay Jan, what's coming? Double homicide, one male, one female, killers male, white, 40s. Set up a perimeter and tell them we're on route.
3: Placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks. Give the man his hand.
2: The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect, I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. You we get any false positives, we are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system. Can't be wrong. Run! Wait! You say something to you? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Don't run. You don't have to chase me. From 20th Century Fox. He set me up! He set me up! And DreamWorks Pictures. Who's the victim? I've never heard of him! But I'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours. He's coming here together. Tom Cruise.
3: I need your help. Keep you contain information, I need to know how to get at it.
2: In a Steven Spielberg film. I have to know, I have to find out what happened to my life. You tell me, who was it to set this up? I don't know. How about now? On June 21st, everybody runs. Board.
0: I think that this is probably best dubbed as the second of a Steven Spielberg trilogy of sci-fis at the early part of the uh, beginning of the 21st century with uh, Mars attack <laughs> with War of the Worlds being the third one and I mean, AI being the first one.
1: Mars does attack.
0: Good lord I mean I'm sure I've made that mistake before but you what have a mistake you the to make. <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> right so um This is the most unexpectedly Harry Potter-ish sci-fi I've seen in quite a while. It helps that John Williams' 2002 score is equidistant between Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. And he was scoring those two films for Christopher Columbus, who took over after Steven Spielberg decided not to do the Harry Potter series. Not
1: exactly his wheelhouse, is it? I mean... I'd have liked to see
0: one by Steven Spielberg, but he wanted to make the first two films one film, like the first two adventures. Because he went, well, they're basically the same thing, so uh, we'll just fold them into one. We'll have, like, uh, he discovers the Philosopher's Stone, the Sorcerer's Stone, and then there's a great big snake. Mm. Um, You're
1: you're not understanding the whole point of boarding school stories here, um, Steve.
0: uh, But he also wanted it to be an American school, so just... Turn it into a high school or something. Uh, For what it's worth, um, for the original Harry Potter series, uh, that was it was done in the right way, Uh, and I would actually kind of like to see it reimagined in an American high school. Frankly, just like the the same things again, but in an American high school. Maybe as uh, uh, an ongoing TV show instead. Um, But I feel like if that happened, Joe Rowling would get a billion more pounds and that's something I don't want to happen. So anyway, moving on, let's just pretend that Harry Potter itself is unhinged from uh, the unhinged woman who wrote it and uh, uh, look at the fact that uh, the technology in this film seems like it would help until you start asking questions. Mm. Uh, and then all well, of it sort of... The least
1: of which is, why does this exist?
0: Yeah. Um, I, in the case of um, the magical world, it's like all of the magic in it is effectively just tech. Mm. It's just tech we don't understand.
1: Yes. But a spell that does one very specific thing that the narrative requires it to do mm. is just a spell. It's just a thing that somebody says that causes the thing to happen. In this world, somebody had to invent an ...eye-extracting machine. Somebody had to... Oh, the old eye-extracting
0: machine, and yeah.
1: build a, a, a little injection-y thing that would make your face fall down. Which begs the question, why, how, and who paid them to do it?
0: It is a good question. I will give you that. Okay, the self-driving cars... Uh, I, I liked the idea of it originally. Uh, I liked the idea of it in uh, when it was used in iRobot-less. And uh, then just like in the meantime, we've actually developed self-driving cars. And they've got their own issues. But I hadn't really thought at the time how married to their trucks so merry American dudes are. You cannot pry those trucks from their cold, dead hands. They will not give up their trucks. And unless everyone's in self-driving cars, there's no point being in self-driving cars because some truck-driving guy is going to come out of nowhere and blindside you.
1: Well, You sell it as being the next step up from cruise.
0: Cruise control. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck trying to, 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 to get them to just take their hands off the wheel and not be driving in there. This makes me a man. Trucks. I'm sure we've got plenty of listeners who are like, absolutely, my truck, and uh, yeah, that's the, the, it, it. Just that—that's one of the difficulties of of trying to move things along. Ultimately, the trucks that you're driving now are not dissimilar to Henry Ford's Model T, mm. you yeah.
3: know.
0: Yeah? But the self-driving car is dissimilar. It's a Johnny Cab, mm. and uh, and that—that's a hard sell. And since wearing face masks to prevent people from getting a pandemic is a hard sell. Getting people to give up the thing that they love seems unlikely. Although, from the sounds of it, everyone uh, gets to keep their guns because there's plenty of handguns in this thing. Very they have expensive. not been replaced by six sticks. Six sticks are riot batons that make a person puke when you jab them with it. Which seems, again, like a weirdly J.K. Rowling-ish device. Like it's you know, it's non-lethal, but it's also kind of gross. Mm. So uh, yeah.
1: Well, it's it, it seems somewhat. Douglas adams E
0: mm. uh, The newspapers with moving pictures on them rather than just having a newspaper for very, very cheap print or a tablet for like if you want to read newspapers on subscription every day on the tube mm-hmm. and and yes of course there there is such a thing as electronic paper in real life with like moving images on it and it's expensive and it's you know clearly easy to get damaged and they've got these great big broadsheets like a a one single gatefold like just just for the feel of having a newspaper but like it wouldn't weigh as much as a paper it wouldn't feel like a newspaper it would feel like holding a big menu and, and, and looking at the headlines in that and going, thank you, USA Today, what's on the sports pages? Mm. Um, and and, and I, I don't see who this helps. Mm. Yeah.
1: Also, the cacophony on a bus when everybody's reading a newspaper and they're all talking the sports page at
0: them. And every fucking ad that you look at goes, hey, Alex, we, we heard that you once bought a pair of shoes. Would you like these shoes?
1: Yeah, you you like... There is no more privacy because you go on a bus and your newspaper tells everybody who you yeah. are.
0: I can I can understand in like an augmented reality, uh, visual information turning up mm-hmm. and sort of like going out the corner of your eye saying, do, 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 click on this if you want more. But even if that's the case, like you're going to bump into people if you're like, you know, I'm just swiping away this stuff. Um, And if it's on like a fixed sign as you walk past, and it's like, hey, Alex, we heard you like pornography. Here's some pornography for you. And you see it, but other people don't. I'm not sure what. Things
1: trying to get your attention uh, through audio out in Mm. public would be... uh, Chaos. Would It would not achieve its end. It would not be successful enough to hit enough people Mm. for it to be worth it because the chance that you don't hear it because Mm. something else loud is going on near you or you're wearing headphones or you're deliberately ignoring it. Things like little... Terriers that pop up in the corner of your vision that's slightly different yeah. that, is, that gets people's attention in a way that the human brain is designed to react to
0: again and if no one's having to drive cars then no one's having to operate manual like vehicles in which case then there's less danger of those little bugs from uh, b- bothering you that was in oh one-
1: yes yeah, sweet lord you drive past a billboard and it shouts at you to get your attention hey, the
0: hey, pile ups that you would hey, get what <laughs> disney plus no <laughs> but uh but but yeah it's it's a sci-fi and it's a playful sci-fi and it kind of um it does. It's it's it seems like it's a very serious film, but so many things in it, like I say, just kind of have that Harry Potter feel, and like they don't really make much sense. And mm-hmm. it just seems like Spielberg was having some fun, especially after the heaviness of the nineties. Yeah,
1: but this is one of the reasons why I found this film very difficult to get into because mm. so much of the world building is very Douglas Adams, it is a little bit Terry Pratchett, it is that sort of that comedic, mm. slightly silly, but
0: everyone's acting but super it's so serious, serious, oh. and the all time
1: thematically and the the content of what's going on and the trauma oh my god the, the trauma drama. that is happening to everyone in this world
2: everyone
0: needs we therapy we got
1: rid of murder so much. however it's made everything so much worse
0: yeah the the devil's snare when he goes to meet the person who came up with pre-crime she's got a fucking Harry Potter devil's snare right there she does. and then these little cobra plants yeah. like she's, she's
1: she's basically Professor, Professor
0: Sprout. Sprout yeah <laughs> could have been played by Miriam Margulis um the overall mystery plot with the hidden villain. Tom wandering around asking old people and strange people questions to get to the bottom of said mystery. The weird eyeball swap that doesn't really help, by the way. Like, what did that really help? It. Like, you set up this... um, Oh, everyone's eyeballs are all sc- scanned all the time on the tube. That's how they, they target you with these ads. So you set up this stumbling block, and then you fix it with a big chunk of your story, and it does nothing! <laughs> It goes nowhere, and he immediately uses his old eyes to get back into a locked police building, and the alarms don't go, oh, you know that cop who's on the run? He's downstairs trying to get in and get to the precogs. And by the way, he then flushes himself down the plug hole, which is so big it could accommodate a person, at the bottom of the precog pool. Why is that there? just it's just for draining water out and putting like maybe putting more warm water in it could be a great it doesn't have to be a plug hole a person sized get out of here if you can precogs plug hole put there to taunt them <laughs> Jesus like they must just be floating there going I can feel that plug hole with my foot right now if I could just pull the oh no another fucking murder <sighs> Ugh, murder
3: Murder,
0: murder, murder! Murder! Change the fucking record. Okay, so, <laughs> so um, oh, my oh and God. when we meet,
1: now I'm imagining Nicholas Angel and Danny trying to deal with this world. Better movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: So then we meet Peter Stormare for the eyeball thing, oh. and the first thing that happens, you weren't here for this. He just bursts onto the screen and snot pours out of both of his nostrils, and he just goes. <clears throat> And then stands there with these snot just hanging down, looking at Tom Cruise with a not-too-bright look on his face, like, what? In Soviet Russia, eyeballs forks you! And I was like, okay, Peter, so you're doing the same thing again, same as you do for Michael Bay every time. Okay, that's fine. This is my sister and my wife. And there was one chick standing there. It's okay, Bill Hicks has been dead for years. Damn cold. Uh, don't worry. You see, I could cut open your chest
3: and sew a dead cat in there. You would never get an infection, not with the spectrum of antibiotics I'll be shooting into you.
0: That's comforting.
3: Uh, but you do understand, I can't just give you new irises. Uh, please don't touch, because the scanners will read the new scar tissue, alarms will go off, and large men with guns will appear. Now that you mention it, I do have trouble breathing underwater sometimes. I'll take the gills.
2: Yes, gills. Then uh, you don't need lungs anymore, is right? Can't imagine why I would. Lie down on table. I take lungs now. Gills come next week.
0: Oh, and then uh, Tom uses the stinging jinx to uh, disguise his face. It's the exact same
1: exactly. shit. Who invented hmm. that? Why? And how was it funded?
0: Although this was several years before Deathly Hallows was written. Oh. I I'm think I'm getting the cart before the horse on this one. I think that Joe's uh, version of... Going undercover was very much informed by watching Minority Report sixteen times, and the creepy searching spider thingies. Those are, those feel very much like the sort of thing she'd do. And then the sad, needless death of a hero trying to do his best—that feels like a thing that she'd do. And then the the poor precogs, the whole you know the the victims at the, the the core of this. But then, you know, luckily in this case they actually do deal with them as opposed to the house elves who aren't ever liberated yeah. and also this whole thing's based on prophecies now what are the ethical and moral ramifications of setting up this pre-crime world which obviously the film critiques the very premise that it sets up it like the whole point was to go look this is the system and it totally works but look at all the problems of this system
1: It doesn't critique it in an awful lot of depth. It it does, to its credit, it does effectively say this system... Would be wrong if it were to be put in place, but it doesn't really explore.
0: It doesn't explain much. why. It never says the
1: philosophical reasons behind.
0: It never says that these are mostly crimes of passion, which suggests that they're not premeditated crimes. Well,
1: the, what, the thing it kind of loops around, and the thing that gets brought up more than once is. If you know it's going to happen, i.e. the police burst onto the scene and inform you that you are about to do X, Y, Z, Mm -hmm. you now have a choice. If you were to choose to continue doing the crime, Mm. then fine. You're now doing the crime and it would be okay for them to arrest you.
0: So you only murder her a bit. And it is a her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But if you choose not to do the crime, then you're changing what you were going to do. Mm. And it... What it doesn't really explore is things like how ethical is it? How ethical it is not at all ethical. Spoiler, um, for them to steal children
0: mm.
1: technically in order the, to make this
0: work. Technically, at the end of this, Cruz isn't really trying to tear this whole system down because you know what, it's morally wrong. He's tearing it down because it got gamed, and that these precogs are, you know have been suffering the whole way through. Mm. And um, there, there is a, a reading of the last act of this film where it's all in uh, um, John's head and uh, that the whole thing's a dream and that so that all of the, um, the, effectively the happy ending didn't actually happen. It ends at the sad bit, which is, it's definitely a reading. I uh, I don't know if I saw anything which absolutely solidifies it as that's Spielberg's intention. I like the fact that he left it ambiguous. Mm. But... Ultimately, if you take it as that's actually what happened, then the precog system was torn down because it was founded by a liar who abused the system to exploit it. Not
1: because the system itself is unethical and flawed and based on kidnapping Mm. and all of these other terrible reasons.
0: And the fact that you're effectively just rounding up all of these people who haven't actually committed crimes yet and then putting them in jail... Seemingly forever, mm. guarded over by creepy Tim Blake Nelson. One of the pre crime cops was Frank Grillo. Crossbones. Yeah, neat. Don't remember ever seeing him, but I'll keep an eye out next time. And another Civil War alumni, Jim Rash, the dean, was one of the technicians. Hmm. Yeah, creepy Tim Blake Nelson uh, is, is just sort of there going, this is my flock. And it's like, we, we know this feels wrong, right? And I also feel like this is one of those, okay, so at what point would the federal government go, yeah, all of that, free prison labor that we have been kind of predicating a large amount of our economy on for far too long so that if it ever got taken away and prisoners were basically not exploited as slaves we'd kind of be fucked and we'd have to actually get it's it's almost like it's almost like thinking about it that that slavery never really went away and they just turned the prison system into the slavery that the civil war was supposed to be there to end More on that in our quick review of Lincoln. Anyway, so uh, in this version of events, it's just about three dozen seemingly mostly white people uh, who uh, all get loaded into uh, brain prison, and uh, I I would imagine quite a lot of taxpayer money for their non-crimes get left in a dreamlike trance forever. Mm. Jesus Christ!
1: The ethical debates that they should have had about this system. Why not just put
0: them all in a coma? It's cheaper.
1: Well, technically speaking, that's what they've done. Yes. Um, But the uh, the ethical debate. But I mean, a cheaper version would just be a
0: chemically induced coma, rather than the the constantly running technology to give them a lucid dream. So, yeah, I, 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 it seems to me bonkers that a gov- like that they could get this pushed through. The fact that they relegate it to just the District of Columbia is smart, because it means well, we're just doing it with these, three, with these three precogs. It is kind of working. We've got to show off that it works. But I can guarantee that the rest of the, the nation of America is going to go, no, we like our prison system.
1: Also, you don't try and install it in the rest of America until you have... More functional precogs.
0: precogs. And for that, you need to genetically clone these guys because uh, the, the, the the instance of precogs turning up is going to be pretty slim. Mm. I mean, well, you they, had to steal these ones and murder the mother. Well,
1: no, then that's the point. They didn't just emerge from nowhere. They had to... Um, they're the result of ongoing experiments on multiple children mm. who've been traumatised in utero to try and stimulate these um, abilities in them.
0: Okay. So, any more about the morality of this whole thing? Because that was what I was asking originally.
1: Um, well, just there's so much that's ethically wrong with this. Um...
0: It, it allows it's, people to get away with crimes that don't cause anybody any immediate sudden major distress well, it's really only for murder and and sexual assault and it's, assault it's,
1: it's literally just murder they they actually say why doesn't why can't they use it for rape why can't they use it for robbery it's that's interesting because the murder. the commercial
0: says had a woman saying he was going to rape me
1: well one assumes he was going to kill her as well
0: this is this is a brutal and oftentimes clumsy movie.
1: Mm, indeed. It's
0: I mean just John's whole snatched away child and that the way that that wrecks his life. Mm. He's sitting on all of this terrible grief and remorse and the estrangement from his wife, who was also suffering from dreadful, irreconcilable grief. And then John goes through depression and obsession and drug addiction and explosive fits of anger. And that makes this film a futuristic PG-13 thriller that is very bloody full of murder, very uncomfortable to watch with young people around and just kind of off-putting for me as an adult. They went on and on about Temple of Doom. Mm. This is Spielberg's darkest kids' film. I would say so. Like, well, I mean, like, is, This
1: is no way. This is not a kids' film.
0: Well, a uh, d- darkest film that kids the could kids legally could watch.
1: Yeah. But the- I
0: mean, like, AI involves the... The extinction of the human race, and it's nowhere near as dark as as bleak as this.
1: Yeah, no, that's very. This is
0: so, and also like it's reflected in the color scheme, which is much like um, uh, Black Hawk Down, which came out about the same time. It's desaturated and it's kind of paving the way for what the 2000s was going to look like. I was, I was looking at it and going, everyone's skin is so like bleached and, and, and there's no red or gold in this film. It's blue and this sort of disgusting browny fuzz. Mm. And uh, I thought, I could rebalance this, but it would work against the aesthetic that Spielberg's going for. I wouldn't want to see this looking healthy. What he's trying to do is say, this is dreadfully unhealthy.
1: Mm. It's Cameron-inspired
0: a little bit, but it doesn't that, have that Cameron's heart. Blue.
1: No, I was going to say, it makes his his, his uh, military mm. blue look practically vivid.
0: Mm. I, also, Michael Mann has that very blue style in Heat, mm. but... Um...
1: This does have a moment that is very reminiscent of um, Terminator 2 for me, though, mm. which is uh, towards the end when he's in the hotel room and making his decision not to kill Leo Crow. Mm It is. It echoes Sarah realising she can't kill Mm. uh, Dyson.
0: Which is a good moment. Uh, But then Leo Crow's like, no, 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 you definitely got to kill me. I didn't kill your son, but if you kill me, my wife gets loads of stuff. And it's like, well, you're kind of palpatining at this point. You're telling him that if he kills you, you get everything, and he loses. So uh, maybe maybe keep that shtum at this point. I suppose that was just to explain it to the audience, because this is... um, because the villain of the film seems to have established his own personal economy of murder based largely upon the subcontracting of hobos.
1: The film never looks at the, what defences could be brought uh, to a murder trial because where, where does self-defence fit in all of this? If you kill somebody and it was in self-defence, do the precogs not pick up on it because it's not technically murder? Or is that something that you would then actually have to stand trial for so that you could demonstrate that you'd acted in self-defence? In which case, why doesn't anybody else get a trial to establish whether there are any mitigating factors in what they were about to do?
3: Murdered! Thank you, Danny! Murder, murder, murder! He's not Judge Judy, an executioner! He is!
0: It seems like... That that bit in the room where it's like, relax, okay? He's, he's going to jail. to jail. As preposterous as that was in the room, mm-hmm. that's literally how the justice system works. Swiftly in the future, now they've abolished all lawyers mm-hmm. because um, the actual the central murder that this film is is based on. Like everything in this film happened as a result of this murder. Anne Lively almost gets murdered by that hobo, and then the police come in, grab the hobo, stick a halo on him. Pat her on the head and go, you're okay. And then disappear back into the forest, leaving her on her knees beside a river going, uh, I was nearly murdered. Which, first of all, calls into question, is there some kind of therapy or aftercare or responsibility for the victims of near fatal attacks every single one of these is an attack that ends without their murder but knowing because of the pre-crime system that they were going to be killed imagine how much fucking trauma you would go through thinking i am living an alternate life where i carry on living that would fuck you up and they just leave her there on the shore she gets murdered by someone else I don't know why I'm being so coy regarding who it is, it's, it's just, she gets murdered by the person who's orchestrating this whole thing, and nobody ever asks, where did Anne Lively go? She was really important in the case of getting this guy, who was a hobo who didn't know her, sent to jail. Like, you know, he, he tried to kill her for reasons that we didn't ever look into. Like there's so many questions regarding this, the, the cunning, clever move of using one attempted murder to cover up an actual murder, that like the fact that she then actually got murdered and no one ever heard from her again, no one ever questioned that because this film, this world, this script, if you ask questions, the whole thing falls apart.
1: Well, the reason they do say that the reason nobody cared that she disappeared was, was because she, she, was, she was an, an ex junkie. But
0: ultimately,
1: this is a world where, apparently, machines that do prophecies can guess your name on a ball. Hmm. It, it seems like that being in a, an existence where there are lots and lots of people who are completely unidentifiable because they just live under bridges and nobody cares.
0: The other thing is, like if she's a junkie and you don't care that she gets killed... Why are you even stopping the hobo from doing it in the first place? If it's like, okay, we're going to take him away. We literally don't need anything more from you, ma'am. Thank you very much for being a junkie who almost got killed. Now go and die somewhere.
1: Can you imagine them bringing the um, the proposal brief for this system to the people who came up with the perch? Oh heavens, no! This goes completely against everything we're trying to achieve.
0: What I like best about the film is the performance of Samantha Morton,
3: Mm.
0: I think, think like, after all of the stuff gets cleared aside, when she's out of the bath, and she's sort of along for the ride, her commitment to this character is quite extraordinary, it's a real performance, and she's strange and unsettling, but almost every scene that's really effective and memorable in the film has her at the centre. Like she adds that extra layer of oomph to it. Like the, the John Anderton as a character is incredibly bleak and dark and um, very difficult to really relate to. Mm. Uh, but but the the, the the sequence where she's run, you know going along with him and saying grab this umbrella here, hide behind these balloons. It it requires no effects whatsoever. Mm. It's just her knowing how not how they don't get apprehended. Mm. And it's it's like Hitchcocky filmmaking because he, it's it's not using uh, any kind of trickery. It's just you know clever. Like we know what she can do, and then she she uses this superpower to get them away.
1: The fact that with dialogue which is very stylized and distorted because everything that she talks about is things that haven't happened yet.
3: Yeah, um,
1: she's so living she's, in the future and the present. She's speaking in a tense that we don't we can't use. Um,
0: Amy Adams could sit down and have a chat yes, with
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I was thinking that. In fact, there's a point where the, the police copter things turn up and I was thinking, they look a little bit like the ships from Arrival. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I, the the way... I would like to
0: see if Villeneuve could remake this, Ooh, what he'd do with it.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, maybe not necessarily remake the exact exactly events of this, but just handle the premise yeah. of this for, for maybe a, a re-adaptation of the original short story. Mm,
3: yeah
1: like
0: uh, for the for the of the premise yeah. rather than um having to have all of this stuff yeah. but uh, yeah
1: but um but yeah morton in spite of the fact that her her what she's saying is um structured in a very strange way she still manages to communicate what not exactly what's going on in agatha's head but the things that are influencing how she behaves and how, like there was a point where it she became relatively coherent and seemed to be a little bit more in the here and now and it made me realize how distorted and terrifying their lives must be mm. just having this constant you know having having been engineered so that this thing that normally would be just a bit of an intrusive thought every now and again is amplified that to the well past the point of being able to control it mm. like living in a panic attack all the time
0: and spielberg's definitely got their best like he's most concerned about them that's why i feel like that ending is a spielberg ending mm. as opposed to yeah um
1: i don't want that a ending ha-ha, to gotcha not be ending. True.
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, who does haha ha gotcha endings just like a hell of a lot of uh, horror directors mm. you know yeah but although this is uh, you know uh, a, a horror uh, a lot of the way through much mm. like um uh, AI at times um, but again like that it starts with that murder aspect and it feels again like it's it's Spielberg doing Hitchcock mm. I just it, it gets kind of bogged down in its own trying to be tricksy and and circumvent the system. And it's like certain murders happen where it's like, ah, no one's coming to get them at this point because um, the other two aren't very good with that, I guess. So it's, isn't that convenient? And there's a lot of, isn't that convenient? But the writer, um, Scott Frank, uh, was relatively new at this point. uh, And he went on to write a couple of my favourite movies of all time. He'd already written one out of sight, an adaptation oh, of wow. uh, the Elmore Leonard book. But then he went on to write The Wolverine and Logan. And Logan is an astonishing adaptation of a shit book. So yeah, he, he'd get way better at making his worlds feel coherent. Mm. And I think it almost feels like there's too many plates spinning for this one. They're trying to be too fancy with with, with the premise. And with the the more technology and the more twists of what can be detected get laid down, Mm. A, the less plausible it is that people would put up with the invasiveness of this tech. Like, you know, we put up with the invasiveness of of the current level of tech because it's not too overt with it. Like um, the other day... Uh, we were talking about um McDonald's and cheeseburgers, and a certain household device was listening and you got an advert in your hotmail. Hotmail, you and you got an email advert for McDonald's triple cheeseburgers. They were like, oh, come back to McDonald's. We've got would you come back for a cheeseburger? No. How about a double cheeseburger? Nuh-uh. Not going out pandemic. What about a triple, triple cheeseburger? cheeseburger. Yeah. Fuck yes! McDonald's, so yeah, but that's a kind of an insidious, quiet, like, like way of marketing to you on a, you know, okay, I get what you're doing way, mm. but, like, the whole, like, when the little spiders go into the house and everyone stops arguing for a moment and little kids are forced to, like, have their eyelids opened by a spider machine who then scans them and then everything goes back to, it's, it's so, like, weirdly Nazi. Do you know
1: what? would actually be slightly less traumatic would just be to have big beefy cops come and bang on your door every day yeah. and go "Are you murdering? Is anybody in here doing murder?" <laughs> like every no murders day. in here. Every day because eventually you'd get used to it.
0: Not just put your hands in the yellow circles. Are you do you register as human? Negative. I'm a meat popsicle. Just uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, I'd go with the fifth element way of doing it instead. <laughs> this is going to go at the near the bottom of my list for Spielberg films, uh, which is weird because it's it's sandwiched between AI and Catch Me If You Can, both of which I love.
1: It's not a badly made film. Hmm. That's the thing. If we're if we're grading it on technical proficiency and um, uh, effectiveness of. What's the word I'm looking for? The the devices that it uses throughout.
0: It murders Kaminsky's photography with its colour grading, though. Oh, Lord. There's one really good shot where um, uh, Tom is is head-to-head with um, Morton, and all you can see is just their, their two heads and the intensity of the back and forth between them and, and, and they're just sort of quietly talking and he really wants to go upstairs to see this guy and you know he feels like it's his destiny and that's a great shot but that's one of the few times when they're actually lit in a way that's not sucking everything out it it's so bleached that there are people of color in this film and I can't feel it like everyone looks white
1: strip lighting Everywhere. Strip
0: lighting. Mm. Yep.
1: It's all very fluorescent when the lights are on. And when the lights are off, you can't see anything. Which
0: makes the film, to me, kind of ugly.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah,
0: the, It's garish. You,
1: there is actually um, a, a kind of a direct connection with um, AI. And I mentioned this yesterday. The, the way video imagery looks, in particular the images that come from the precogs' mm. minds, is... Visually, very similar to the way David's thoughts mm. show on the faces of the um, advanced synthetics. True,
0: that's true. I'm assuming they were using an actual, literally similar te- technique. Quite
1: possibly, one. but it's it's mm. really it's it's an eerie way of looking at something because you can see that it's video footage, and it looks wildly futuristic and incredibly old at the same time. Mm.
0: And at the same, at the, nearer to the beginning, when uh, John is looking at holograms of his kid and uh, his wife, and I'm sort of looking at it and going, these look terrible on our OLED, which suggests they're not as good as TV.
1: Well, I the whole idea. It would look good if you were
0: had. reduced to VHS at the time, but yeah. now.
1: It, it almost seems like the way the light kind of. It curves, and I get what they're doing. It's sort of it's a three D light, but it's not a solid image. It's like a like everyone a looks piece like a ghost. has been folded. It's around. appropriate
0: for the fact that he's looking at the ghosts of his former relationship. But mm. if you are just looking at your grandma, yeah. at her hundredth birthday party last week, and she's still very much alive. Mm. Watching it would be weirdly eerie.
1: Yes. Well, uh, old family movie footage is always used yeah. for that purpose in, in movies. It's never used for anything else.
0: It's always sad. Um, especially if the dad, and it's always a dad, is watching a kid and he knows the exact words that are about to happen because he's heard, he's watched this over and over again. Indeed. It's shorthand for tragedy.
1: But it reminded me of the... Do you remember those... Um, heads in the dungeon in the york dungeon where they put they do like a projection onto the face and it's a video recording but it's on because it's onto a white model head it looks Mm. vaguely like a 3d head
0: so it's like a a a 3d model of a person with a face projected onto it moving and talking yeah exactly similar I didn't want to end on this, but the circumstances by which a policeman's child is snatched from the policeman in just seconds, whilst he's at a very crowded public pool, like just the logistics of the little boy was holding onto his watch and timing him, he dropped it in the water as he's being, you know, walked away. This person would have had seconds to just say, "Well, we're going this way." Just the act of dropping the watch in the water would make any kid go, "I've just watched. I've just dropped my dad's watch. I've just dropped my dad's watch in the water. I don't even know if it's waterproof," and would make a fuss immediately. Do you know what kind of person doesn't get to walk out of a public pool that's absolutely crowded with people? Someone jamming their hand over the mouth of a struggling child desperate to get back to the water because they've just dropped their dad's watch. What Steve is usually very good at is creating scenarios that feel relatable and like, okay, this could actually totally happen. Not necessarily from a scientific realism point of view, but from an emotional realism point of view. So when that doesn't happen and you're like, nothing feels like it could actually happen here, it feels strange and odd. Mm. So for me, Minority Report feels strange and odd. It feels like a Ridley Scott film, Mm. a latter-day Ridley Scott film.
1: Yeah. Things Which keep-
0: is still a compliment, because he's one of the greatest directors of all time, but I don't like Ridley Scott films. But
1: things keep happening that don't feel authentically human, and they're mixed in with things that do feel authentically human, and that creates a very jarring tone.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's definitely one of the lesser Spielbergs, and, um, you know... He's made so goddamn many and we've been through so goddamn many this year. You're allowed to make ones that I don't love. But I'm sure plenty of people do. And that's my minority experience of Minority Report.
3: He's in high school. He likes to run like his father. He runs the two mile and the long relay.
0: This scene I really do love because it is both extraordinary and uncanny and unsettling. But also the most human
3: He makes love to a pretty girl named Claire He asks her to be his wife He calls here and tells Lara who cries He still runs Across the university and in the stadium where John watches Oh god, he's running so fast Just like his daddy He sees his daddy He wants to run to him But he's only six years old and he can't do it and the other man is so fast (gasps) There was so much love in this house Wanted back so bad (laughs) So did she can't you see She just wanted her little girl back But it was too late. Her little girl was already gone. She's still alive. She didn't die, but she's not alive. Agatha...
2: Just tell me, who killed your mother? Who killed Anne Lively?
3: I'm sorry, Don, but you're gonna have to run again. What? Run!
0: War of the World.
2: You back in four instead of twelve. I got half a career coming uh, in. I
0: can't. You know what your problem is? I can think of a couple of women. Be
2: happy to tell you.
3: Eight thirty? We said eight o'clock. Hello, Dad. Hello, Rachel. We'll be back by nine thirty on Sunday. Bob says you got a report due on Monday. What do you know, right? Everything. Rachel, want to see something cool? Lightning doesn't strike twice. <laughs> you believe this, Ray? Every single car?
0: Oh, i never seen that, that many strikes of lightning course. in one spot. You hear that? There's something down there, and it's moving. we leaving this house in 60 seconds.
3: Suitcase! Tell me what you saw.
2: This car is this, Ray? Where are you going? What are you doing? Get in, Manny. Get out of the truck. I'm not kidding, Ray. Get in, Manny, or you're gonna die.
3: Oh,
0: <laughs> oh there's there's Martians. There's big tripods firing death rays at people all over it doesn't say it in the trailer but it's it's very visual but there's big martians everywhere it's very scary <laughs> So uh, this one is about the chances of anything coming from Mars being a million to one. They said. But still they come. <laughs> <laughs> and we begin with Morgan Freeman reading the uh, classic piece of prose that has been the opening of many, many adaptations of H.G. Uh, Wells's book.
2: No one would have believed in the early years of the 21st century that our world was being watched by intelligences greater than our own. That as men busied themselves about their various concerns, they observed and studied. The way a man with a microscope might scrutinize the creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. With infinite complacency, men went to and fro about the globe. Confident of our empire over this world. Yet, across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. And slowly and surely drew their plans against us. Unfortunately, at the
0: exact time we saw this version of War of the Worlds, a uh, news report came out about alien life potentially living in clouds above Venus. Scientists have been left surprised by the discovery, as Venus is an extremely unlikely place, has an atmosphere almost entirely made from the gas, carbon dioxide, which is poisonous to humans and animals, and because it's the second planet closest to the Sun, its surface is really, really hot at about 465 degrees Celsius, basically the temperature of a pizza oven. This is from the BBC website. But now researchers say they have discovered another gas, 50 kilometers up from the planet's surface, and one that they can't explain. It's called phosphine. And on Earth, phosphine is important for life, and it's found in places with not much oxygen, such as swamps or the bellies of animals like penguins. And small amounts can be created by the breakdown of living material. This has led scientists to believe that there are penguins on Venus whose stomachs are producing phosphine, which can only be released via flatulence. And unfortunately, thinking about that made me think about March of the Penguins and what they're now going to have to do for a planet-spanning sequel. Venus. The brightest star in our night sky is not a star at all. Or so we thought. Turns out you can make a gas giant if you have enough penguins and you fed them Brussels sprouts for every meal. Get busy living, or get busy farting. But back to Mars Attack. Sorry for the tangent within a tangent. Uh, so it was filmed in 2005, and uh, Lindsay Ellis did a splendid video on the differences, the, the differences in tone and approach between Independence Day and this. And we deliberately didn't watch it. Like, you've never seen it, and we're going to watch it after we finish this one, uh, because I didn't want that to largely influence what I had to say about this and Spielberg's approach. But while I will try not to lean too heavily on her findings, the context she brought up is absolutely key. Independence Day was during the mid 90s, a very naive and um, gentle time when, uh, you know, blowing up buildings and the White House uh, was uh, a little bit of escapism for us. And we could uh, sort of imagine if aliens invaded. But uh, this is a clear cut case of 9-11 fucked us all up and let's re-experience that trauma. And that informs on so much of it. Like, And there's a lot of, well, what if the worst happens?
3: Mm.
0: And this is pretty much the worst. It's an extension of the paranoia of that era. And also adding cold overlords are watching over us and may decide to strike at any point. They're also manipulating things, which kind of plays in with the whole like conspiracy nuts now, going, oh, the whole thing's just a big conspiracy from lizard people and, and just all of the gibberish that QAnon uh, comes up with. We also watched a uh, bone-chilling video uh, about Flat Earthers uh, from uh, Dan Olson, uh, Folding Ideas, uh, which then reveals itself to be mainly describing, uh, reveals itself to be mainly delving into the um, ultra-paranoia and looking for, I suppose, order among chaos, that the QAnon folks get up to and the the desperation to imagine that there's an overlord, whether benevolent or malevolent, pulling the strings, because at least then someone is in charge. Mm -hmm. And I think the fear that we're exhibiting, that we're experiencing here in um, uh, War of the Worlds is, oh shit, no one's in charge. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. And like, it's an erosion of everything that we hold true in society. Like everything that we come to depend upon, like first our safety is threatened as these enemies suddenly invade. And then our homes are no longer safe to go back to. So the home is gone and we're all uh, running for the hills. Mm. And then uh, we, we lose a clear road as to where to go because everyone's sort of clustering in one way and the other and actually being together makes them more, um, liable to be hurt mm-hmm. it's uh same as max brooks surmised in uh, world war z that being in clusters of people during a apocalyptic situation sort of heightens your chances of something bad happening and something going wrong and if you're on your own uh, with a group who kind of know what they're doing you're more liable to uh, be able to survive which unfortunately is something taken to heart by doomsday preppers mm-hmm. who kind of live that day-to-day now and we meet Tim Robbins, who kind of goes into doomsday prep mode later on in the film. Mm. Food is taken away, water is taken away, our basic supplies. In the book, uh, the travelling the uh, uh, narrator and uh, his group have their pony taken away by a town who want to eat it. They're like, no, 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 that's some good eating on that their pony. Parallel, I suppose, in this with the uh, panicking crowd who try to take their car. But mostly the thing that has been taken away is the idea that there is a script that everyone is sticking to, Mm -hmm. a script called Civilization, and if we all play our part and do what we've been programmed to do, and, you know, this isn't like a, wake up, sheeple, it's a, if you take that script away from people, everybody loses their minds. If something happens that we feel is like a regular occurrence, Mm -hmm. say if a black person is killed by a white cop on the news, that's all part of the plan. And it's horrific that that has become so the norm, that we all just go, this is so horrible, why doesn't somebody do something about it? Just that that sort of sinking feeling that we've sort of gotten used to sort of experiencing, it's weirdly scripted. Mm-hmm. We we go through like a little series of feelings and outrages about it. It's almost like they've learned to turn People's very real anger into just part of that script. Mm,
3: yeah. This
0: is not me like Tinfall hat, you know. I they're know, controlling I us, sure. man. Uh, what I mean is that if we're going to like make a civilization, people all kind of need to agree by consensus to a script regarding what to do mm. in this situation. So the more chaotic things have become in recent years, the more people have been been staring into the abyss and going, "Tell me that there's a code. Tell me that there's a plan for mm. this."
1: This, I think, is... It's less about the fact that that is what will happen if the script is taken away from society and more about the fear that the this fear. Is what will yeah. happen if the script is taken away. Because we are kind of living through an event of the mm. script being taken away and...
0: Because it's a lot less lethal, it's been less terrifying. Yeah,
1: we haven't fallen off the edge of the the civilization cliff.
0: It's been less terrifying than the most terrifying thing ever, which is what this kind of is.
1: Um, But I think this is, it it reflects... But still pretty
0: fucking terrifying.
1: Yeah, it reflects something which I think is...
0: Oh, and the uh, rise of authoritarianism, there is that too.
1: There is that too, yes. But that's that's part of the script, you see, that's happened before. Oh,
0: part of the plan, part of the cycle.
1: Um, An element of what comes through, in this is what I think is probably best described as the comfort of the Lovecraftian horror
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yes I know because comfort it, is not something that you would normally associate with that it pulls
0: that. the lid off the box and you go ah, and it's then it the, puts the lid back on and goes okay it's not real no, no, no. All right. no I
1: don't mean like that what I mean is the desire that exists in, in maybe all of us at some level certainly some of us to a, a great degree that when they look into the abyss, they want the abyss to look back because otherwise it's just a void and that's scarier. Mm. Um, and if, if the
0: abyss looks back, it better well have a human face.
1: Exactly. And I was going to say this is kind of like a Spielbergian twist on the Lovecraftian horror, but it's not very
0: Spielbergian. It didn't feel like him most <laughs> of the way. This hurt. feels like a cold film yeah. that only at times feels like Spielberg. And I, I was like, what happened to the boy who never wanted to grow up? And I'm like, it, then just concluded and cast my mind back to the mid 2000s and the misery of that time yeah. and the conclusion from everyone well we can't go back to being hopeful about anything anymore yeah. ever again it's just going to be miserable
1: but the other thing
0: desaturated about this, and, and miserable
1: this is one of the reasons that I really don't like this film I
0: also really don't like this film. It's way down the bottom of my Spielbergs. I I had to be reminded by watching it on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, it's held up as a... I resented having to buy it. It's held up as a processing of and uh, uh, an interpretation of an old story through the lens of, and not even subtly, because it's stated explicitly by Rachel fairly early in the film. Mm
3: -hmm. Is this a terrorist?
1: Yeah. However... This is a really bad analogy for terrorism. Yeah. If you want to make this about terrorism, those tripods are invisible.
0: Yeah. And we don't know where they are. And we
1: don't know where they are and we don't know what they're doing and we don't know how much of this destruction they're actually responsible for. And
0: then it's Cold War Paranoia.
1: Exactly and that is how I have always interpreted the the War of the Worlds as being obviously it was written
0: And the Thing is a more effective Cold War Paranoia as a story.
1: But it was obviously it was written well before that kind of terror of Russia became a Thing but uh, the version of War of the Worlds that I am most familiar with is the musical and that has always held that tone for me, the emphasis on the Red Menace, the Red Queen. Yeah, it was
0: done in the is... late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, we say.
1: exactly. And also, there's a lot more creeping dread in the um, in the, the uh, audio drama than there
0: is yeah. in the uh, audio drama. Do you mean the um,
1: the, the musical
0: audio? Musical, drama, not yeah. the Austin Wells yeah, radio. Drama. It's
1: not. It's not just songs. There's mm. like there's obviously dialogue as well. But the um, yeah, the, the the feeling that this could be about um terrorism where the 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 weapon of terrorism is fear it's everybody being afraid of what they don't know for a fact will happen it's not they have far superior technology to us and they have these great big monsters that just come in and stomp on our way of life that's not terrorism that's not what that's not what it does um but like i said if you if if they were Um, more obscure and it wasn't entirely clear that you were being stepped on by a great big three-legged monster um, then I think it would it would reflect that theme a lot more accurately
0: authentically and
1: then but then it's more about the observation of the the fearful reactions of the people because in this you see a crowd of people running like terrified herds of whatever towards a fairy that clearly can't hold all of them, that suddenly becomes an entirely logical and rational way to act when you look at the thing that's chasing them.
2: Yeah. Of all the questions we had, yeah. the one that came up most often was, <laughs> oh. ask Benedict... To say the word penguin. <laughs> oh. What is this about? Well, apparently, I got it wrong repeatedly in a documentary. <laughs> it wasn't a documentary about said animal, <laughs> it,
0: was, uh, it was a documentary about, I think, about the South Pacific in general. And now I'm completely terrified of the word. Um, I don't go near it.
2: Well, no, because I know, here's the thing I thought, oh, I'm uh, sure yeah. they're making it up, but we actually looked at it. this documentary. Oh, good. So You've documentary got it? So the documentary is <laughs> for. These are called strange islands. The first one you sort of get away with, and then after that, you lose all sense of what you want to Let's have a look. Listen carefully. And the last thing you might expect to see here is penguins. <laughs> these are fiordland crested penguins, named after this corner of South New Zealand. So, why are these woodlands so attractive to penguins? <laughs> A freshwater stream through the forest makes a handy highway for a parent penguin heading home from the fishing trip.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the plot of the original ni- 1897 book, so it was made 108 years, it was written 108 years before this film was made. Yeah,
1: so we're talking the same era here as like Dracula or Frankenstein. Yeah.
0: Right? Oh, not Frankenstein, that was even longer ago. Okay. But uh, same era as, say, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea.
1: Yes, so what we're looking at here is the overlap between sci-fi and gothic horror.
0: It was uh, related to invasion literature of the time. The novel has been variously interpreted, this is H.G. Wells' novel, as a commentary on evolutionary theory, which at the time was relatively new. you got Charles Darwin going, oh, hey... We, we came from apes, and everyone at the time was like, Whoa, absolute bollocks, tell me more.
1: And then deliberately misinterpreting Darwin. Yeah. For fun.
0: And uh, generally Victorian superstitions, fears and prejudices. Wells said that the plot arose from a discussion with his brother Frank about the catastrophic effects of the British on indigenous Tasmanians.
1: I was totally going to say, there's also this kind of being terrified of colonial, um, colonialism underpinning it, which is a bit fucking rich.
0: What would happen, he wondered, if Martians did to the British what the British had done to the Tasmanians? At the time of publication, it was classified as a scientific romance, like Wells' earlier novel, The Time Machine.
1: Hmm. Romance in its true sense, meaning lie.
0: Yes. Oh, it's a, it's a fun fiction. And I think with, the, uh, with how it ends, with, oh, they all caught a cold and it's all fine. I don't know whether that necessarily translates to what the British did to Tasmania. I don't think we all caught malaria and went home. I, th- I think that was more just a marketing ploy of, look, no one's going to buy this book if it ends miserably. Mm. Like, he wasn't a mid-20th century sci-fi author who was like, yes, and then they kill us. They, well, they basically harvest us, the end. That is us, 2000s. In That's basically like, or, or, you know, you could make it a deliberate parallel for colonialism and even the the taking of America.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, in keeping with his his theme of, of being anti-colonialist then, it could have been him trying to rewrite the ending that ultimately if you are an invading species in this land that is not yours, mm. there will be things in this land that will ultimately drive you away and and they'll be like part of that world rather than have it all falling to the people who live there who are clearly hopelessly outclassed but we know that from the history of colonialism, it's far more likely to be the other way round. Mm. The invading forces will bring infections that the people who come from that land don't have any resistance to.
0: Hence the taking of America. And when I say the taking of America, I mean from the native population. Mm. Um, there's another tie. You could read this coding. Again, Lindsay Ellis is very good for getting you to go, OK, so what is the actual... Like, what's the coding here, intentional or otherwise? There's a capitalism metaphor in here in terms of if you think back to all the cereal ads of your childhood, if you're American, so many of them were about the mascot from this cereal box wants to take your cereal. You gotta get yours. You gotta keep yours. You know, this is your stuff. This is your cereal. You get it. Get it. Fuck that rabbit. Fuck that leprechaun. And. That's that's your basic capitalism model right there. Mm. Other people will try and take your stuff that you earned from the sweat of your brow. We've already said this on, of all things, the Food Fight episode. And you need to make sure that you keep it. Much like, I'm Andrew Ryan and tricks are for kids. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> Well, it's like, I, I don't know what the formal pillars of marketing are, but I kind of feel like number one is... Make people want something because they're afraid that if they don't have mm. it, something bad will happen.
0: Also, sharing's for pussies. Yeah.
1: Two, make them hang on to the things they've already got and want more of them by telling them that somebody's mm. going to take it away from them. That way, even if they didn't really, they weren't that fussed about having it, but the mm. idea of somebody taking it from them just makes them want to hang on to it that mm. little bit tighter.
0: One of the only things that uh, ads that ads I can think of that actually kind of bucks that trend, and not really, is uh, Spearmint. Wrigley's great spearmint gum. Great to chew, gum, even, great better to chew to even better to share. It's it's uh, set to all right now, mm. and this guy passes a girl a stick of uh, Wrigley's. Then he's like, hey, how's it going?" On a bus, and she's like, "Hey," and she tears it in. She tears it in half and gives the other, well, other half back to him, uh, in a kind of a hey. You know what? I don't want to just take all your last stick of gum. You can have half of it. It's still transactional, but it's a little more. Hey, you know what? Sharing good for everyone. You're not just sharing with people Share because you Share your resources
1: want and women will be yeah.
0: sent to your if, if he sort of like <laughs> gave it to a little old lady and she was like, oh, thank you very much. Here, you can have half of it back. Wank. He'd be like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> He's
3: been a granny shagger. Yeah, <laughs> dude. When you,
2: granny when shagger! You, when you accidentally find out that you're a granny shagger, that's a problem. <laughs>
0: that is how you get age gap lover. Anyway, so Tom Cruise plays a deadbeat dad. Mm. In this, like, he's got two kids. One of them's 14, Robbie, and the other one's, uh, what, 10s, 9? She's 10. Yeah. Um, Rachel, uh, played by Dakota Fanning. And Tom Cruise is kind of like, he's this grinning, cocky, like, he's kind of like Dan Caffey with absolutely yeah. nothing to back that up. Mm. He's this cocky, grinning shit, but he's, uh, you know, he's a longshoreman, so he works on the docks. And he doesn't look like a guy who works on the docks. He looks like uh, Tom Cruise. Mm.
1: It It does amuse me how many of Tom Cruise's characters can be summed up by he's ex other Tom Cruise character but without blah blah blah.
0: Well this made me think how rarely Tom Cruise has a family and I mean, I'm just moving the list away from you here because I wrote it down and I mean has a wife mm-hmm. he, has he has a wife, a wife. <laughs> <laughs> in Continentia buttocks. Sorry. God bless you. Um. <laughs> He has a wife and at least one child. Okay. And they are, uh, you know, obviously, way to way to reinforce heteronormativity, slow down. This is Tom Cruise. If he's going to be gay in a film with a husband, we're going to have to wait a while. Okay, mm. folks. But, uh, okay, so if we just go with the standard nuclear American family, yeah?
1: Dare you to play Tom Cruise crazy at the end of
3: this one?
0: No. <laughs> We'll save that for one of these following movies. Okay. But in the following films, and I've not seen some of them, you may have to correct me on, on some. Okay. I don't believe he has a wife or a child. Okay. <clears throat> now, for some of them, he was obviously very young. Mm. And it's like, well, he's barely a boy, so he's not going to be married yet. He but-
1: taps. He has no family.
0: Well, yeah. But... Leonardo DiCaprio marries Claire Danes in uh, Romeo and Juliet and while they are uh, older actors they're playing teens so it's not inconceivable that you can get married at that age either way this is, a, this is a list that's about Tom Cruise dodging the nuclear family yes. for 40 years. Okay. <laughs> Taps, The Outsiders, All the Right Moves, Risky Business, Legend, Top Gun, The Color of Money, Cocktail, Rain Man, Days of Thunder, Born on the Fourth of July, Far and Away, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, Close but No Cigar, At The End... That's the film where he's family curious.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was fucking 23 years ago. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, very, very little has really been updated in between time because we've had Magnolia, Mission Impossible 2, The Last Samurai, Collateral, Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible 4, Jack Reacher, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow, Mission Impossible 5, Jack Reacher 2, The Mummy... American maid I've not seen, but apparently he does have a family in that one. His name is Seal. And Mission Impossible 6. In Minority Report, he was married, then he lost his child and separated from his wife. And
1: that is the driver of the story.
0: Yeah. And in Eyes Wide Shut, he is unhappily married.
1: Yes. And in some of those, he has a wife or... He has a wife. There's a, a, a relationship on the fringes, but it is not the vocal point of who he is and how he operates well he
0: doesn't like. you know how Brad Pitt in uh, who got much more used to this as a concept in the shitty World War Z adaptation sort of came down for breakfast mm-hmm. kissed his wife mm-hmm. kissed his kids like, that's the equivalent of War of the Worlds for Tom Cruise here only obviously Tom Cruise is, is, is dealing with a broken family here like I don't expect Tom Cruise to have a family but it's actually quite astonishing when you look at how many films he's done where he's, like, kind of maverick.
1: And also, if you're not in at least some of your roles playing um, somebody who is in a relatively nu- close to nuclear family, you ain't playing every man. Yeah. And he is touted as an everyman actor.
0: He's not. Like I said, he's not a longshoreman. He's Tom Cruise who refuses to grow old. We watched... We watched Top Gun the other day and this beautiful, gorgeous uh, anniversary print and his head of hair looks exactly the same as it does in Mission Impossible 6. He's exactly the same. He looks the same in Top Gun Maverick, which we won't see for a while, but...
1: He was running in War of the Worlds and I was thinking, hmm, yes, this is his running bit.
0: Yeah. It's fine, it's fine. This sounds like a critique of Tom Cruise. He's kind of mystifying. We could frankly do a season of Tom Cruise and obviously not do all of the ones that I just mentioned above, but maybe four or five, just to sort of dabble in the Tom Cruise sea.
1: He might have a baby by the end of Far and Away.
0: Maybe. Baby. Possibly. But uh, he's a bare-fist fighter.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, but I mean, the whole point of it is that Nicole, well, Nicole Kidman's not exactly trying to tie him down to a marriage, okay. but that's, that's kind of what they're dancing around.
0: There's plenty of films where he ends up in a, yeah. in a relationship that could go somewhere, yeah. but most of the time... But
1: not an established yeah. relationship that has a dynamic that then um, characterises who he is and what he does after that.
0: Because he'd have to basically share the screen with a wife for quite some time. It's something of note regarding Tom Cruise's career. Look at who he played in The Mummy, and then think back to, like, he should have played that character in the late 80s, mm-hmm. not... 2017
1: Yeah And I mean that's not to say That there aren't Lots of other actors Who very rarely Play that type of character But Not ones who've been In the business Quite so long And played such a Range of characters As Mr. Cruz.
0: Or Put it another way Are you considering Having a family again sir? Because it seems like you dodged that bullet in 2017, and 2016, and 2015, and 2014, and 2012, and 2011, and 2010, and 2008, and 2007, and 2006, and 2005, and 2004, and 2003, and 2002, and 2001, and 2000, and 1999, and 1996, and 1994, and 1993, and 1992, and 1990, and 1989, and 1988, and 1986, and that weird one in 1985. I have aged phenomenally. And the film that Lego Batman watches is Jerry Maguire. Good lord!
1: Sorry, don't you mean Jerry <sighs> oh, yeah.
0: Poor Kelly Preston. Oh, I oh. oh. no, made so myself sad. sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all we've done here is not talk about his character yes, in this film. It's
1: because he doesn't have one. He's Sorry. a deadbeat dad. Somewhere, he doesn't have
0: much of a character. He's kind of like. There's a little bit of Steven Spielberg's looking back on his dad and his broken family, I'm going to guess here. I'm
1: pretty sure the point of how he behaves is that this is a guy who has not been there for his family. Yeah. There's a really nice little bit of set dressing um, towards Mm. the beginning of the film when he first... Uh, gets home and his his ex is just dropping off the kids and uh, we go into the room that the teenage boy and uh, and young uh, tween girl are sharing, which is obviously a, a temporary arrangement. That's not. You wouldn't have that as standard, ideally. Mm. They're kids' beds. They're little trundle beds. Yeah. They've got um, stuff on the walls that clearly goes back to when they were very much younger than they are now.
0: Yeah, the, uh, Dakota Fanning is 10 and she's got the horse begins with H yeah. on her wall. And
1: she's well into horses, so we know that that's, mm. that's true. It's that's it stuck around because she, she had, likes it. But... but the point is, he hasn't upgraded or redecorated their room since they presumably moved out, or it's so infrequent that they come to stay with him Mm. that he just hasn't bothered to do anything current with their decor.
0: I think their broken family and the difficulties they experience might make this film unnecessarily unpleasant. Mm. I feel like if there was a genuine togetherness between them, then we might really root for the film, and even though there's misery going on, we'd want this to survive. Mm. So much, but because we're with an asshole and his ki- the kids who just don't want to be with him and are like, "Oh, you are such a fucking loser." Like uh, the Robbie feels like that. He's not that abusive. Robbie does redeem himself early on when um, Rachel's freaking out. Uh, by sort of like going through a little calming routine with her and saying, you know, cross your arms. These are, you know, this is your area. This is your place. Nothing can get to you here. So we warm to Robbie. But then when he decides I'm going to go running up over that hill and I want to take, I want to see, I just want to see the Martians. It's almost despair. It's almost like I want to be at least moving forwards. And it's almost like I want, like really, I want to like pick up a gun and and come help the soldiers. There's a little bit of Peter from the Lion, the Witch in the water. Yeah, drug.
1: one of the one of the things that I th- I actually liked about Robbie's character, and it's to do with the fact that that I think Ray's arc in this story, that's Tom Cruise's character, is to do with he starts off as this deadbeat dad who clearly doesn't engage with his family and hasn't stepped up for them before. But the point is clearly that as these this crisis situation unfolds when he is put on the spot and has to make a decision he will make the choice that is going to protect his family that's going to get them through the immediate crisis he is not uh, planning for the future he is not thinking about uh, the the wider ramifications of things he is just this is the emergency this is what we deal with right now but everything that he does is honed in on this very narrow focal point of me and mine, me and my children. And, again, in, in that circumstance, that is <laughs> completely rabbit. understandable. Oh, yeah, it, is, no. it is not something that I think the vast majority of an audience would say, oh, you fucker, why are you there looking after just your 10-year-old daughter? You yeah, know, no. there's other people that's out there the that need your help. That's the relatable bit. But that's the point, yeah, that's the relatable bit. Well, Robert, especially as,
0: as, as the chaos is going on, if, if you just focus on I've got to keep these two alive, Mm. and myself so I can keep these two alive that's a thing you can do
1: exactly but the the distinction between that kind of behavior and what Robbie does which he obviously has not learned from observing his father mm. is that the things that he tries to break away to do are generally about protecting the group and, and yes there's there's idiotic childlike things like I, I just want to see. I want to see what's going on. But everything he wants to do is about helping the people who are trying to thwart what's going on. He wants to go with the army so that he can help them fight. He um, breaks away from Ray and climbs up the back of the ferry so that he can pull the people who are desperately trying to scrub uh, struggle on mm. over the top. He is doing the, uh, the young man's game thing, which is, right, I'm the warrior. I need to be in there helping to protect the people. Yeah. Whereas Ray is like,
0: I that's the like, paladin rather than the warrior. Okay. The warrior takes the damage. Oh,
1: okay. But the, but what Ray's doing is more of the right. You are the older man now. You need to be behind the wall, staying out of trouble because you are protecting the children.
3: Hmm.
2: It's okay.
3: Want to go inside? It's
2: okay. Huh?
3: Want to go inside?
2: Okay, you go ahead. That's enough weather
3: for me. I want to go by myself. not it? No. Come on, it's the Fourth of July. No, Oh, see.
0: This is a very visual film. So much of it is told just in looks between characters. And people just kind of staring at the Martians. There's very little dialogue that's compelling. It feels like the the film makes an about turn at the end after all this misery. We've got um, uh, Tim Robbins just le- leaving subtlety at the door and just being this rolling-eyed doomsday prepper mm. who, like, starts off like, well, he's desperate because this thing's going on, and then it becomes a case of, no, 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 he was probably like this before, and then it becomes a case of um, Ray deciding, oh, God, I'm going to have to kill him with my bare hands.
1: Yeah, that was the bit that made me go, I don't think you needed that, really. Yeah. Yeah. It it's just It's
0: so fucking dark. Again, and the fact that we dwell with Rachel while she's singing herself a lullaby is like it's like innocence being torn away. We get it.
1: Yeah. Well, if if the point of the the progression of Ray's story has been that he is stepping up to protect his children, <laughs> then what this seems to be implying is whatever you do to protect your children is fine. You you go out and strangle as many people as you need to. <laughs> And that They're, feels very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, they are like rats in a trap uh, in that they, if they go outside, they get got by Martians. If they stay in here, this maniac with a shovel and a shotgun's going to kill them. He's obsessed with living underground and being the new resistance. And if they don't do exactly what he says, chances are eventually he's going to start becoming aggressive and, and dangerous to them and him. It feels like Ray is trapped in this situation. But again this is why it doesn't feel like Spielberg. It feels like Spielberg would go, okay, like if Spielberg was making this film for families, which the PG-13 certificate suggests then we'll have this guy, Alan Grant, his way out of this particular basement. And let's just carry on, shall we, sweetheart? Well,
1: it's, it's got a toe in Taken. Yeah. It's, it's starting to lean in that direction of, well, somebody's going to take away your little blonde daughter, so whatever you need to do under those circumstances we will look the other
0: way. Jesus Christ.
1: And, and that being... Um, framed in and placed in the story to kind of make it feel like Mm. you really want to do this, don't you? So let's put the pretty blonde daughter in danger so you've got an excuse. I mean, it doesn't go that far, but it's starting to inch Mm. that way.
0: That's what the Taken series most definitely became. That was 2008. So Mm. three years after this, it became, you know, foreigners are going to try and take your children. Yeah. But Her, your see, daughter. Our daughters are going to be taken. The
1: thing, if, you're, if your daughters are fine and they're not really under any kind of threat, you're still going to be in fear, aren't you? And you're still going to want to do something.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, the um, way back to the beginning when the uh, tripods first emerged, which is, by the way, a really, a really impressive uh, sequence, the whole, like, you know, they, the... the them emerging and they're like oh they're absolutely massive and then that turns out to just be the foot of one of them it's abs like it's so huge and the guy's trying to f- film it on his handycam and then gets dusted and the camera falls to the floor and it kind of it's a frame within a frame of non-too-subtle this is that disaster image you've seen grainy um dv tapes of in the early 2000s but this is actually real this is actually happening on your cinema screen and it's it's deeply unpleasant and as the people are running away that being turned to dust but their clothes drop to the floor is just a weird extra step in the 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 process of of making a memorable horrible scene Mm. and it's a far cry from the, the 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 way that this is precisely this is done in a comedic fashion in Mars Attacks, a parody of Independence Day being made at the same time.
1: What really threw me was that they seem to have gone out of their way to make this effect specifically very bloodless. Yeah. And yet... There's this whole thing at the end where they just suck the blood out and spray it everywhere. Were you saving all the blood from the dusted people so that you could use it for the weeds?
0: Well, we're just testing these dust thingies just to get you running and see what happens there. Mm -hmm. Like, surely at that point, there'd be like the moment they emerge, start spearing humans and sucking the juice out of them. You had questions regarding the red weed, didn't you? Because obviously well, this...
1: Then, yeah, I mean, just in the sense that I didn't recall the weed in the uh, musical version needing blood to
0: survive. It's definitely in the 1897 um, book. Oh,
1: is it? Right, okay, fair it's enough. It's
0: suggested that it comes from harvesting yeah. humans.
1: Okay, all right, well, that's fair enough. But either way, I just... I This is one of those little niggles that doesn't really matter, but it just sort of... Seemed a bit weird that a weed that the point of it is that it's native to Mars and that's why Mars is red and mm. so they have planted it here to kind of terraform it and turn it into a, a world that they can mm. they can live on. That's Which in eighteen ninety
0: seven with the, in eighteen ninety seven with the tech they had then they they couldn't not know yeah. that uh, that wasn't the reason Absolutely. that Mars was red.
1: But why would a plant that it grows on a planet with no humans, thrive with the exact blend of chemicals in a human sprayed all over it.
0: Yeah. Similarly, the whole... Uh, oh, they, they didn't know uh, that... Uh there were microbes that would uh, kill them on Earth comes from the 1897 book.
1: That seems like information that they would want to work out before they came.
0: Again, in 1897, they couldn't Mm conceptualise that these things and their machines would actually, I don't know, analyse our atmosphere and work out what's actually going to be harmful. Like, in the book, when they they land on Earth, uh, they immediately jump out of their tube and go, oh, it's a bit sticky! Mm -hmm. And then they run back into the (laughs) tube because they don't expect, they don't know what it's going to be. They don't have there's no probes they don't check the earth before invading it
1: yeah well they they would have in 1897 had the they hg wells would have been aware of like the observation mm. of disease and and how that behaves and how when you go to an area where there's diseases that you aren't used to it's bad so that, you can extract like that. I that into that Tiger's Eye. Yeah, exactly. But like the... Um,
0: but that means that every version of War of the Worlds has to end in that, Pff, ah, stupid diseases, indeed. even signs, which is a clear-cut yes. re of Hang War on of on the Worlds. Minute.
1: you're scared of water, or water is the thing that kills Bloody you, Earth's and you covered went it. to a planet that's a third water. There is that. Um,
0: like, at least, like with the microbes, it's like streets, you didn't streets. know it was there. With the water, you can tell because, from quite far off. It's the
1: reason we're blue.
0: Yeah, um, we haven't covered signs but yet. But the,
1: the point of the kaiju... But also,
0: it feels like Spielberg watched signs and went, I could totally do that, but way better.
1: Maybe. Um, but with the kaiju in Pacific Rim, the whole point of the creatures that are trying to terraform the Earth is they know that they're in shit if they go there themselves. They are sending advanced... Um, Drones. Uh, yeah things to go there ahead of them to sort all that shit out before they get there
2: from the moment the invaders arrived breathed our air ate and drank they were doomed they were undone destroyed after all of man's weapons and devices had failed by the tiniest creatures that God and his wisdom put upon this earth By the toll of a billion deaths, man had earned his immunity, his right to survive among this planet's infinite organisms. And that right is ours against all challenges, for neither do men live nor die in vain. Pretty words,
0: HG. Not actually true, though. And then uh, at the end, Robbie, who ran over the hill and apparently got blown up, is fine. And they're reunited, and the Martians die of the microbes because they didn't check the earth before. Robbie
1: ran over the hill and joined the army. That's why when he comes back, he's got the Rambo headdress.
0: But we're led to believe that he was killed, and it's a lovely happy ending, and then they go to uh, uh, Miranda Otto... who sat this whole movie out just she in did. Grandma's house in Boston.
1: The, when Robbie runs out of the house and runs to his dad, mm. it bothered me way, way more than it ought to have done, given that we've seen this guy's emotional development and it is minimal. Mm. Uh, but he sto- he goes to hug his dad and he stops him. He's like, no, you stay there. I'm going to have to process this before I'm actually capable of hugging you. Mm. Because he does, he then he then does hug him, but it's like he needs a minute before he can.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, the the scene where he that. has to let go of his son and let him go off and do his own thing mm. is kind of, is heartbreaking and probably the the apex of the movie's emotional plunge because after that it actually kind of it it, it journeys down into that darkness and the, and the, that's when the aliens first turn up and and the the sort of snake like. Um, seeking device which makes some great Hitchcockian, Shyamalanian um, slightly Cameronian uh, uh, tense scenes Mm. of being hunted but because the film's so unpleasant you don't get any kind of thrill like you would with Jurassic Park Mm. so when the aliens turn up it's not like oh this is fun you're just like oh this is terrible Mm. this is just terrible, the whole thing is terrible every every part of this uh, film is horrible and I don't want to be here that's the general like feeling I got from this. It's not a thrill ride. It's yeah. also not that like it's not like a slaloming between fear and excitement. Mm. It's just fear.
1: It also seems kind of weird and misery. That Spielberg, whose view of aliens hitherto full, has been
0: yeah, sympathetic. Aliens. Yeah,
1: and he's designed them to be appealing and. Uh, if not actively helpful to us, then at least not openly hostile. And yet he decided to do this. this. This is like, if somebody told me that this project was coming up, I'd be like, that's the last story I can see Spielberg wanting to tell.
0: Honestly, I feel like this doesn't divert enough from War of the Worlds, the mm. original book. I feel like by uh, by 108 years later, we could figure out something more of a spin. Uh, coming hot on the heels of AI, mm. it feels like the third act should have wrong-footed everyone and like, oh, you thought the Martians were evil. Turns out we got some unsettling things to say about humans. Yeah. And like we've already done Independence Day, yeah. we've already done the comedy version in Mars Attacks. Now, how about the kind that makes you think? No, it's just War of the Worlds. And there you go. That's the movie. It's HG Worlds War of the Worlds with 2005 technology. And you said that uh, Tom Cruise was miscast and that you'd have cast Ben Affleck, which got me thinking about Ben Affleck wasn't really a dad figure at that point. He'd just played Daredevil. Uh, But you thought...
1: Well, what I said initially was that Tom Cruise is a flawed casting if part of the point is that sci-fi stuff, happens to people who aren't heroes you want to cast somebody who is generally known for playing an antagonist um, and my first thought was michael shannon but as you rightly pointed out that basically means you get midnight special and nobody sees it um, 12 people see it. indeed um but
0: come I, on kids we're gonna run from the martians We'll be safe down here in the basement. Hide us, Tim Robbins, <laughs> from the, our dad.
1: The the reason that I thought Ben Affleck actually was because it was like, um, and I know he's not he's not a bad guy. He's not an antagonist exactly. But um, what's his name in Goodwill Hunter? AJ. Chucky. 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 So like.
0: Let me tell you something, aliens. <laughs> <your suspect. laughs> yes, yeah, you. Say
1: Chucky had a. a, a 4 year old kid knocking around mm. somewhere yeah if that, he was a playing a broad
0: bostonian already yeah
1: already split up and that's where the the root of mm. this deadbeat dad element comes from that's the progression
0: honestly I could uh, see yeah that. i could see if if ben affleck's just a longshoreman who uh, you know is is a ben affleck character in a ben affleck movie like mm. the town yeah. and he's like you know uh, uh, okay so i'm not uh, i'm not the the parent you want to spend time with but uh, i got a peanut butter fucking sandwich here <laughs> And, oh you don't want it I'm gonna throw it at the window. That would feel mm. more appropriate and yeah. it would feel more earthy and maybe a little bit more relatable. I don't know it's just, uh, Tom Cruise doesn't feel like this guy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, my suggestion was Christian Bale mm. that he pre-batman this was like a month before uh, after Batman. Mm. but if they had done so this he was busy just yeah if they'd done this just before Batman begins. It's a return to um, Steven Spielberg and it's ironically the father now and the kids are the ones whose innocence is being shattered after um, their, their dad went through it in Empire of the Sun. Mm. Bale is capable of like that, that sense of estrangement but there is a, a strange tenderness to the way he plays certain elements of the prestige. I feel like Him working with Spielberg again would have just... It would have captured that summer movie feel. Mm. I would rather have Batman Begins (laughs) than that.
1: Given the choice.
0: Given the choice. Because the film would be unpleasant either way. Um, But of the whole film... Dakota Fanning's performance was the one thing that I think I just sort of salvaged at the end going you know what this was really good Dakota Fanning even when she sque- squeaks and screams you kind of want to protect her you get you get that like she doesn't overegg egg it mm. uh, every every one of her reactions feels um, you know that's exactly what a 10 year old girl would be like at this point um, but at the same time she sort of like feels human and she does calm down and she sort of goes through various processes and, uh, you know, a young actress and she had a lot heaped on her shoulders but did extremely well. Mm. Frankly, uh, you know, they could just have done a film of War of the Worlds focusing on her flitting between various parental figures to try mm. and...
3: That's
0: that's Ooh. more interesting. That's more engaging. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what she, the, the, the point of the themes being, what does she deem to be the safest family to be with in this given situation? Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Definitely nowhere near even the middle of my
2: favourites. You know, the funny thing is, you don't you don't do this in isolation. You have a you have a team of n- you know natural history experts
0: based in Bristol, funded by you, the tax paying <laughs> public. It's not just me sitting there at a booth going, oh, I, I think I know how to say penguin. I will say penguins. <laughs> it's mortifying, but there are other people who should take some. You and in the including my the producer. Of vodka. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Yeah. But did no one? then could we just try the word penguin again? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe maybe. <laughs> maybe they just gave up. <laughs> I honestly don't know. But then um. what I love is in the way that life is mm. how special that Benedict is now starring oh yeah as a wolf yeah. in this film. <laughs> <laughs> so can you say it now? Well, I've had a word with Disney. I
0: just I need to check that I have said it correctly in the film. <laughs> Uh, it's the eat. penguins of
2: Madagascar. <laughs> and Gwyn. Gwyn. Penguin. No, penguin! Penguin! penguin. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. He's all over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, The sense of achievement. <laughs>
0: School of Movies is funded by Patreon and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode so thank you to Aaron LeCluze, Abel Savard Alex Outridge, Alex Peregrine Angus Lee, Benjamin Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf Kieran Dashler Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer Dan Hepner, Daniel Salguero, Dave Hickman David Shealy, Duran Barnett Evan Jankowski Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Joe Gasega, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vehey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lux, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rozanski, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Trey Contreras, and Tom Painter. And next week we are continuing our Scary Things That Come From Outer Space mini-season within a season. And we didn't mention Ben Affleck lightly because next week we have Dueling Asteroids as we cover 1998's double bill of summer blockbusters about the Earth being hit by a meteorite, Mimi Lader's Deep Impact, which was executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Michael Bay's Armageddon. But because most of the music in War of the Worlds is not much fun to listen to, we're going to go back to Minority Report to play you out with some John Williams. And uh, let's leave you on the piece of music from the car factory when Tom is fighting with uh, Colin Farrell, who's got kind of a thankless task in this movie. He's the uh, cop on the case, and then he's not on the case. He's basically Jack Vincennes in LA Confidential. And the music that John Williams plays at this point is the most Star Wars-y piece of music, specifically Star Wars prequely piece of music, that he's ever composed for a Spielberg film. This is Anderton's Great Escape. And it's definitely not The Droid Factory from episode two, of Attack of the Clones. And it's also definitely not Quidditch and Bludgers from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And get those thoughts out of your head, it's definitely not those films. Which, by the way, John had to score bits for all throughout 2002, he was being asked to do this by Steve, that by George, and this by Chris. There's only so much John to go around. Let him rest for a bit. Oh, wait. Get back on, catchy if you can. <laughs> so, I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And school's so. out. As loud and long as they do on Venus. I hope to see my friend again and pull his flipper. I hope. Dear me okay, right? Uh, here we go. I, there's no, I can't. This is one-star review. Can't. I, there's no point in saying the title because it's basically echoed in the first, uh, first line. So, which penguin was Morgan Freeman supposed to be?
2: None of the penguins sounded like Morgan Freeman. His voice is everywhere. My son Daniel asked me if he was trapped in the ice below. What was I supposed to tell the kid? I yes, and we had a good cry together. <laughs> Winner who <laughs> wins? Oh uh, my yeah.
3: god! Oh
2: I mean, my god! Holding on to that yeah,
0: one, thinking, can this work? Uh, uh,
3: uh, I
1: think we're gonna if, have to play
0: this one out with Trapped Under Ice by Metallica. <laughs> so. if
1: for no other reason than I'm now visualizing Morgan Freeman as God trapped in an iceberg.
0: What well, did I think it was? Happy Feet. <laughs> <laughs> Real life happy feet. It's, it's like Penguin just, is voiced by Morgan Freeman. It's, <laughs> I was like, he's the narrator. I'm like completely confused. Like, stop, stop. How, do, how does that? How does that? occur? <laughs> My God! One person, out of ten people found that helpful. This means that person's got through their whole life without ever seeing a wildlife documentary. Incredible! Absolutely that's what this incredible. Is.